Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Dan Watkins, Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, John Farling, and I'm Hazel Burton. Today we've got not one, but two brand new features. So uh, we've got something called What Would Jared Leto Do? which we'll, I'll explain at the time. Uh, we've also got, um, we're going to start recasting movies because, you know, we have the authority to do that. And today we're going to see what modern actors we would recast in the movie Jaws. We're also going to put Dan in the hot seat because he's been re-watching all of the Marvel films before Infinity War comes out. We've also got some regular features, so we've got Film Buff or Film Bluff, and we're going to kick off the show with some nerd recommendations. So let's get started. Okay, so what have we been watching, stroke reading, stroke, you know, feeling recently? Stroking. (laughs) (laughs) Can I recommend another podcast? No. Oh, go on. Go on then. Thanks. Um, So Westworld is back on our TV screens. And during the first season, I discovered a podcast called Out West, which is a podcast about theories about the TV show Westworld. And I found that the more I listened to those guys discuss some of the quite sensible and completely out there theories and conspiracies about what's really going on in Westworld. The more I enjoy watching the show itself, the more I start to spot little clues and Easter eggs. And they talk about everything from who among the humans might be a host and who among the hosts might actually be human to whether Westworld is actually on the moon or underwater or (laughs) underwater on the moon and all sorts of things. They deep dive into Reddit and come out with some really interesting stuff. But if you've ever watched Westworld and not had a clue what's actually going on, the podcast does help you to have a lot more fun with it. Does it not confuse you even more if you've got to consider multiple theories as opposed to coming up with your own theories while you're watching it? A little bit, but I think that's part of the appeal of Westworld Mm. is trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And I enjoy the trying to figure out a lot more than just not understanding which right. was my experience of the first few episodes. And did you also find that meant there wasn't a reveal in the show because you'd already heard that theory before each thing was revealed? A little bit. A lot of the the bigger twists and surprises hadn't actually been touched on by any of the theories, but the stuff that they did talk about are things that had been hinted at throughout the episodes and that you could have pieced together yourself mm. anyway. And it was more the confirmation of, ah, I was right about that one, Mm -hmm. or, oh, that's what was actually going on. So it's a slightly different feeling, but you still get that kind of satisfaction that you get from a a shock reveal. So were they right in their series? Was this on during the first series? Yeah, they do an episode of the podcast after each episode of Westworld's been on, so they give you a day or two to formulate what you think's been going on, and then do an episode. So the multiple timelines was the big one that they had running through the first series. Mm -hmm. And there'd been people online who'd reckoned that was what was going on from episode one, and it wasn't confirmed until the end of the season. But other things like certain characters who 
may or may not have been hosts. No one had had a clue about until it actually happened on the show. But then that just opened up a whole other wave of theories as to who else the show could be lying about. So yeah, um, if you're planning on watching Westworld, it's a nice little audio accompaniment to each episode. I got the timelines about episode four. Very good. Without a podcast to help me. I needed the podcast to help me. John, what have you been watching? I have watched a film. I Recommendation isn't a word I would use, but I watched a film this morning called Mum and Dad. There is a signal put over the TV channels that causes parents to have an uncontrollable urge to kill their children. Um, is it Peppa Pig? It stars uh, Selma Blair and Nicolas Cage, and it's Nicolas Cage at his Nicolas Cageiest. He at one point, he at one point actually has Fruit Loops on his face while acting as a Fruit Loop. (laughs) What? Yeah, and he he gets to do his um Jack Nicholson hacking the door down, shouting for a door moment with Fruit Loops. With Fruit Loops, uh, I think he has a very nice twist cameo appearance about twenty minutes from the end, which is spoiled unfortunately by the opening credits and quite a few of the reviews. So, if you can avoid watching the opening credits, um, you, <laughs> you, 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 you get a very nice casting surprise for genre fans late on in the film. Um, it's directed by um, one of the guys that did Crank, and it's very similar tonally to Crank. Um, so, very over the top, ridiculous. Everything up to 11. The best use of rock sets, it must have been Love, but it's over now I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> what film was it? You Was it um, Pretty Woman? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you won't associate it with Pretty Woman anymore, having <laughs> watched Bum and Dad. It's not a great film, but it's an entertaining film, and Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage's bad wig are at their best in it. How is his hair? I don't think you could call it Nicolas Cage's hair. Um, he, he had a hair specialist listed in the credits who I think was charged with finding a suitable rug, but it was it was it was doing its own thing. It was the full black grease back, later Elvis style, maybe. So it's even cagier than Conair and Face Off. More cagier than Conair and Face Off combined. Mm. It's actually quite odd you went for something from the Crank Guys because my choice is a TV show from the same people. It's based on a comic written by Grant Morrison. Christopher Maloney plays Nick Sachs, who's an ex-cop hitman. After he's shot and left for dead, he's in the ambulance and he gets brought back to life and starts to see a small blue cartoon unicorn called Happy. Now, it's the imaginary friend of a little girl who's been kidnapped by a very bad Santa. And he has to team up with this strange imaginary creature and try and rescue the girl. I think Peter's having a stroke. <laughs> um, I know it sounds completely insane. And the way the, the, way the actual show plays out is very much the same sort of visual style and feel as Crank. You know, there's that sort of pace and energy, uh, a lot of extreme violence. It's very strange, very weird, uh, but I'm definitely going to stick with it to find out what happens because it's such a strange thing, really. Speaking of sticking with things, um, has anyone stuck with Lost in Space? Haven't started. Nope. One episode and stopped. One episode and stopped, yeah. Just no fun. It's, um, for anyone, have you seen any, anyone else seen? Not seen in, the first one yet. Yeah. No. Lost in Space is supposed to be camp and fun, and it's just not. It's just a, a grim sci fi. You don't get to see Dr. Smith until the last moments of the of the episode, so. She. Mm-hmm. She. Oh, what? <laughs> Being gender swapped. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> 
<laughs> Parker Posey. Female doctor, whatever next. <laughs> His whole world has been shaken. <laughs> I don't have a problem gender swapping per se, but it just seems to be a lazy shortcut yeah, now. I, to... I don't like it just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. I don't get well, it. No, do I. I think the new, new doctor's going to be brilliant, but something about Dr. Smith that should be male and camp. I, I was gender swapped this week. You were, yeah, I, by I, your I, girlfriend. Yes, I booked a holiday to America and she put me down as female. Um, so the e-tickets came through with Ms. John Farning on them. Was that I, Joan instead of John? I have no idea. So we had to uh, write to the flight company and get all the flights changed. So I'm now a man again. Was there a reason for gender swapping you? Did it save money or anything? Well, we were worried it was going to cost an awful lot to swap the tickets over. Uh, I, I looked online and they said it would be like 250 quid. And I thought I could just have a shave. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would take more than that, John. <laughs> Maybe a corset. <laughs> uh, well, I, I thought I was going to recommend uh, Rampage, which is the last film I saw at the cinema a few days ago. Um, but I'm not sure my heart's going to be in it because it's not a good film. But it is in a, in a weird way. So this is the latest film from uh, The Rock, Wayne The Rock Johnson. Um, It's about a technology company who's like experimenting in um, interesting stroke evil things when they're doing it in space. So keep them kind of away from the prying eyes of the government, but something goes wrong. A serum that they've been developing, which turns animals from the docile creatures that they are into rampaging monsters, uh, accidentally falls to Earth and it gets injected into an albino gorilla called George, who is uh, best friends with the rock. And it also uh, is injected by a wolf and a lizard. So it's based on the, the game Rampage, sort of, in that that's the, that's the premise. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. But it is ridiculous. Um, it's a lot of city smashing, which I know you don't like, Dan. Um, mm. There's there's nothing subtle about it. You know, the evil guys who work for the technology company, you know, only have to like look at them and go, hmm, I think their motivations are questionable because they really ham it up. Um, there's a ridiculous scene with a helicopter on top of a skyscraper and then they, they fall to the ground and Naomi, Naomi Harris's character goes, oh God, I can't believe we survived that. And I, she said to my friend, Neither can I. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, but, you know, when, when these, these kind of films, you don't really expect subtlety because it's literally, it's a gorilla punching buildings. I mean, you, if you look for an intellectual kind of arc, you're not going to get one. Uh, the Rock is obviously the best thing in that movie. He is majestic. And um, you actually genuinely believe he's got a very strong relationship with George. Uh, the CGI is ropey at best, but um, they've got the monsters right. And you mm. actually genuinely believe there's a relationship there. So kudos to it's The Rock. It's weird with him, isn't it? Uh, the Rock, Duane. Yeah. He's, I really don't want to like him. But, <laughs> but I can't help I can't yeah. help loving him. Yeah. He's got this ability to make you like movies that you didn't think you were going to like. Mm. Um, so and I haven't seen it, but you have uh, Welcome to the Jungle, Jumanji. And I was yeah. like, I, you don't need a Jumanji remake. But according to you, he, he really yeah. does make you oh, like he's it. He's great, isn't he? Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He even made Baywatch watchable. <laughs> Only up to a point, but still watchable. Yeah. Uh, so if you take it at face value, it's a very enjoyable film. Um, some people have picked apart some of the pieces of the plot because um, Naomi Harris's character finds a way to break into the technology um, building by hacking a thermostat. 
and everyone's like, that would never happen. But I work in cybersecurity and that it very happen. much could yeah, happen. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, yeah, don't try and pick it apart. Take it face valuable and you have a really good time at the cinema. Um, but the, the other thing that I did want to recommend, and I'm sure that you've all been watching it for years, but I haven't. Um, I have been totally binging the TV series Archer. Uh, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's a, it's a cartoon, but it's a very, very adult cartoon. Uh, so Archer, the central character, Sterling Archer, plays a top secret spy for ISIS, which um, stands for the International Secret Intelligence Service. Which how, is really, how long ago was the show made? Because I, I saw an episode or two and I wondered that, because obviously yeah, it's a funny thing to choose as the it name. It came out in 2009. I haven't got to this this stage yet, but I do believe they've changed the name given recent events okay. uh, from ISIS to something else. Um, and ISIS is ran by uh, Archer's mother called Mallory, um, and they have a very, very odd relationship. In fact, in the first episode, she uh, is under threat someone's got a gun on her and um arch is trying to protect her uh but he gets a little bit too excited and she actually says to him the thought of me dead gives you an erection and uh Archie goes no just half of one um, which is an indication into the the extreme nature of some of the lines but it's i've never seen writing like like it it's very sharp very witty very inventive uh go binge if you haven't already I've, I've only seen two or three episodes. Have you seen Bojack Horseman? I have not. All right. I think you'll probably really like Bojack if you, if yeah. you like Archer. Okay. Bojack, you've got to stick with past the, the first half of the first season's a bit ropey. Mm. Um, very episodic. And then about halfway through, it becomes much more serialised. It really, really takes off once that happens. And it gets better and better every year. Cool. Ian. Two recommendations. I'll make them very short. One, uh, I watched the first episode of The Terror last night. Uh, that's uh, AMC's new horror series. After the success of The Walking Dead, they've been looking for something else because now Walking Dead has pretty much run out of steam. And so they come up with this, The Terror, uh, which is produced by Ridley Scott. Uh, there's a lot of Ridley Scott all over it. It's very, very obviously, he's got a strong control of what's happening on the screen. Uh, it's set in the early days of polar exploration, but loosely based on a true story about uh, two ships that went missing in the in the Arctic, Antarctic, Arctic, Antarctic, Arctic, Antarctic. Somewhere Arctic. cold. Somewhere cold. Um, and it's based on a, a 2009 novel, uh, which speculates about what might have happened. And it's obvious from the start that it is going to be a horror series. You know, there, 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 there are some early seeds of something not quite right going on. But what makes the series, rather, the first episode so brilliant is, is that the, the claustrophobia and the terror and the dynamics between the characters is what builds up all the tension. You know, nothing, nothing scary happens at all in the first episode, but you get this horrible feeling of dread. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's done in a very realistic kind of way. It's very grim, um, dark, cold. I've got a feeling it's never going to get happy, ever. It's mm -hmm. only ever going to get sadder and more frightening. And I can't recommend it enough. I, I thought it was mm, absolutely cool. brilliant. So that's definitely worth a watch. I think, you, I think people can like that. My second is Shin Godzilla. Uh, Toho's 29th instalment of the Godzilla movies. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a kind of a reboot. Uh, so we meet Godzilla again for the first time. Um, what's still brilliant about it is it's still a man in a suit, no CGI, and lots of small <laughs> models, which wow. is great. But loads more production values. Uh, lots of stuff gets blown up. Um, and you get to see um, Godzilla evolve from his early fish-like state, which looks basically like a shocked mackerel uh, with two legs, uh, into Godzilla, which is very exciting. But the best thing about the film is 95% um, of the film takes place in, in big meeting rooms 
with hundreds of very smartly dressed Japanese sitting in perfect um, lines. And each scene comes in at the end of the meeting. So you'll just go, yes, yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to try doing some radiation. Right? Okay, meeting's over. And everyone stands up in unison and files out of the room. And that happens about 14 times <laughs> in the movie. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Only in Japan. It's fantastic. So, yeah, I, I recommend that. That's, that's yeah. really worthwhile. It's, it's, it's brilliantly camp as it should be. Uh, lots of stuff gets blown up. Uh, Godzilla is king. Mm-hmm. King of the monsters. Yeah. Okay, so time for a brand new feature. Um, anyone who listened to episode eight of our podcast um, will recall the time that we kind of ripped Jared Leto apart for his stupid method antics um, and the fact that he would go to extreme lengths, such as uh, being blindfolded for the, the entire duration of filming Blade Runner 2049, getting his assistants to kind of roll him onto set so that he would never see his fellow cast. So that kind of inspired us to come up with a, a new feature, which we're calling... What would Jared Leto do? What would Jared Leto do? Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're going to come up with a couple of scenarios around, um, you know, what lengths Mr. Jared Leto would go to for a film. Dan, what do you think he would do? For his role in To Kill a Mockingbird, Jared Leto would listen to Wake Up Boo by the Boo Radleys for 20 hours a day and send dead mockingbirds to his fellow cast members. He has not read the novel. (laughs) For his role as Mary Poppins' Umbrella... Jared Leto slimmed down to one pound and had his head replaced with a wooden parrot's head and slept in a hollowed out <laughs> elephant's foot. <laughs> For his role as the T-Rex in Jurassic Park, Jared Leto invented a time machine, went back in time 65 million years, bitter T-Rex, went into a wood and got trapped in magma until the present day where he was melted down, had his DNA taken out and put into an actual dinosaur. 99% of his appearance was CGI. <laughs> For his role as the bookcase in Interstellar, Jared Leto had his skin textured and coloured to resemble fine Italian leather. But in the final edit, his role was replaced with a real bookcase. Unfortunately, this admitted his big speech that would have made the movie make sense. <laughs> For his role as a Dementor in the Harry Potter series, Jared Leto undertook a 13-hour surgery to install wheels on his feet so he could perfect the Dementor glide while also taking an experimental pathogen that would make him invisible. Since Dementors can't be seen. <laughs> Since Dementors can't be seen by muggles. Unfortunately, the effect was permanent and was therefore fired from the series for his inability to show up on camera. For his role in Beverly Hills Chihuahua, Jared Leto had his eyes surgically enlarged, communicated only in yaps, and would be transported to and from set in a socialite's handbag. The final film used animation. <laughs> For his role as Turtle in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Jared Leto painted himself green and lived in a sewer where he tried to get vats to teach him Kung Fu. He died of the plague. (laughs) (laughs) For one role, Jared Leto spent months living with a pack of wolves in the Alaskan tundra, eventually learning to speak their language and communicate in howls across long distances, then living ferally for four months in the back streets of New York before realising it was all a simple misunderstanding from the title of The Wolf of Wall Street. (laughs) For his role as the fishing rod in Brokeback Mountain, Jared Leto (laughs) dieted and lived in Heath Ledger's wardrobe for five years, refusing to come out. For his role as Steve McQueen's baseball in The Great Escape, Jared Leto had all of his bones broken and himself sewn into some leather. (laughs) 
For his role as Sauron in Lord of the Rings, Jared installed video cameras into all of his co-stars' dressing rooms in order to truly encapsulate the all-seeing eye aspect to his role. Unfortunately, Ian McKellen found out about it and imprisoned him on Weathertop for the entire 18-month shoot. Uh, for his role in Gladiator, Jared trained for months, bulking up to unimaginable proportions. He hired personal trainer John Anderson to ensure he was always ready. Unfortunately, he misunderstood the part, and this means Jared Leto's house now has two abandoned dueling podiums and a malfunctioning travelator. <laughs> Did you know that for his role of Alien in the film Alien, Jared Leto spent several weeks living in John Hurt's stomach and later required emergency hospital treatment after attempting to replace his blood with acid? <laughs> That's a true story, that one. <laughs> If any of our listeners have any ideas for what Jared Leto would do, please tweet us at Nerdfest UK and give us some more ideas. Okay, quiz time, film buff or film bluff. So anyone who's not listened to this feature before, um, this is when all of us nerds have got three pieces of entertainment trivia, but they've made one of them up. Um, so it's our job and your job as well to work out which one is the bluff. I have a film bluff or film buff about reasons movies were banned. Okay. Ooh. Okay, so I have uh, three films that were banned for ridiculous reasons. One of the reasons I have made up, the other two are correct. Back to the Future is banned in China because as a time travel movie, it is disrespectful to history. Film Texas Chainsaw Massacre was banned in the state of Delaware after lobbying by a local chainsaw manufacturer who felt that it would give chainsaws a bad image and lead to damage in their sales. <laughs> and finally, the Simpsons movie is banned in Burma because the colours yellow and red are the colours of the Burma rebels and they thought it would be pro-rebel. Hmm. Yellow and red? Yellow and red, yes. Are you wondering how that figures in the Simpsons movie? Specific, oh, I mean, the yellow, obviously, but yeah. the red. Why the red, why on, the red, red on Bart's T-shirt, he's yellow and red. Oh, okay. okay. And I think there's quite a lot of red elsewhere. Mm. It does quite defiantly take all his clothes off quite early in the Simpsons movie. Mm -hmm. I thought, isn't there some reason Back to the Future's banned something to do with the sort of relationship mm. with his mother? And Ch China does have mm. a thing about time travel movies. I think that's it's very hard to get a time travel movie through in China. Is that the case for all time travel movies like Looper and... I think so. Yeah, all time travel movies are banned in China, um, but Back to the Future wasn't banned until 2011 when there was a blanket ban on time travel. Yeah. As, yeah. What are they trying to cover up? <laughs> they invented well, time travel in 2010. They've, they've covered up a significant <laughs> part of their own history. Yeah. Yeah. In certain ways. So they invented mm. time travel in 2019. So they're trying to prevent other people rewriting history is what mm -hmm. they're basically doing. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's quite diff It's always historically been very difficult to get a Western movie to play in China anyway, mm -hmm. um, which is why so many recent films have either set a significant proportion of their film there, or like the classic star. Transformers 4, or... Iron Man 3 added Sorry, a section. Sorry, did you use classic and Transformers 4 in the same mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. I don't it, think I've ever heard that before. It's the fourth best Transformers film. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Iron Man 3 added a whole section of the plot for the Chinese cut so it would be released over yeah. there and make more money. But uh, time travel does tend to be mm. 
a sticking point. Mm-hmm. If you're going to put time travel in your film, you might not get into China, mm-hmm. Chinese cinemas with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I believe that one. Um, the Chainsaw, Delaware. Is yeah, it? Uh, Delaware. Um, there's a, a large chainsaw manufacturing company in Delaware. I don't know the name of them. And they lobbied for the film to be banned because they thought Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Chainsaws Massacres, and because it's like a large employer in the in the city, they um, they didn't want the bad publicity. That's the one that feels like John made it up to me. I think he made up The Simpsons. Mm. Yeah, the mm. Delaware thing's quite specific. Yeah. And was As the film was right. the film successfully banned? Uh, it was yes, it wasn't in Delaware, but just I, I don't think I'm not sure it was banned, but it wasn't shown in cinemas there. But if you're going to pick on the Simpsons movie for Bart's T-shirt, there must be plenty of other films that use the combination of yellow and red. It was yeah. specific, and any yeah. any film set in a diner with mm-hmm. mustard and ketchup presumably would then have to be banned. <laughs> I don't think or, it's literally everything. Yeah, in I, I yeah. think it was the, the explicit use of yellow and red, and the fact that the hero of the film or the star of the film was a yellow and red character. Okay. The star of the film was Spider Pig, but okay. Um, uh, I think it's Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. Simpsons. The made up one is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. yeah. Finally got you after uh, 11 of 12 episodes. Uh, yeah, the Simpsons movie was banned in Burma because uh, of the Burma rebels dress in yellow and red. That's their flag. Um, Back to the Future was part of a blanket ban on time travel movies in China mm. in 2011, which apparently began because it was a very popular time travel TV series. And they said uh, time travel is dis- disrespectful to history and also that time travel movies have a tendency to casually make up myths, have monstrous and weird plots, use absurd tactics, and even promote feudalism, superstition, fatalism, and reincarnation, all of which are a, a, a no-go. Uh, would you like a bonus banning? Oh, yeah. A bonus yes. what? Mm-hmm. A bonus banning. I thought you said something else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you think he said? I'm going to keep that to myself. <laughs> there is a, uh, the TV series Mighty Morphing Power Rangers was banned in Malaysia because they thought that morphing sounded too much like morphine and was a secret drugs reference and encouraging kids to take drugs. Wow. Mm. So you can't see Mighty Morphing Power Rangers in Malaysia. So wouldn't they just retitle it? That You would have thought that would be the logical thing to do. How prevalent is the word through the show? Do they not say it's morphing time before they <laughs> yeah, it's go all Before they uh, <laughs> shoot up. <laughs> Dan, film buff or film bluff? Yes. Uh, mine it relates to the cast of one of my favourite sketch shows, which is Horrible Histories. Absolutely great if you've never watched it. Ignore the fact that the target audience are younger viewers. There is so much to enjoy from the the core cast of the original run. And they've all gone on to do lots of great things. They've written and starred in feature films. They've had series. They were the first people to reunite the League of Gentlemen on Horrible Histories. And Stephen Fry's guested with them. All sorts of things like that. But which of these things has a Horrible Histories cast member not gone on to do? A. Appeared as a named character in a Star Wars film. B. Made a guest appearance on the sitcom Parks and Recreation. Or C. Won an Olivier Award for theatre acting. Now, I know none of the cast. No, it's going to be pure guesswork. Not by name. Mm. I know some by sight. 
So mm-hmm. um, you've got Matt Bainton, who was also in The Wrong Man's with James Corden, if you've seen that. I don't watch anything with James Corden in as a right. matter of principle. He's quite good in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's the best thing I've seen him in. Uh, Simon Farnaby co-wrote Paddington 2 and Mindhorn and films like that. Was he a named character in Star Wars? I couldn't tell you. Um, Jim Howick is a recurring guest star on Peep Show. He played Gerard in that. Um, Lawrence Rickard's done work with Tracy Ullman and various other sketch writers. They're all people you probably recognise mm-hmm. from other programmes, but they're best known as a collective in Horrible Histories and then Yonderland. I don't think any of them have gone on to theatre stuff. I think that would ring a bell. That sounds like the more likely run in some ways, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What? Well, so think from the point of a, a BBC kids sketch show. Mm. What route would that be least likely to take you on? Well, I'll say possibly Parks and Rec. I'm trying to think. If Parks and Rec are quite, the writers are quite nerdy, and I can imagine the Parks and Rec yeah. writers watching horrible histories and putting somebody in. Peter Serafinowicz they had yeah, at one point. I can't remember any many British guest stars. Was he a recurring character? Uh, one-off. Hmm. Was it on the one episode where they went to England? Cannot confirm. Oh yeah, they yeah. went to London, didn't they? That wasn't a great episode. American sitcoms going to London never works. Let, let's mm. assume that's probably true because of that one episode of Parks and Rec. I don't mm-hmm. know, Ron Swanson kind of makes it when he goes, Oh look, a clock. We don't have those in America. That's not big. You should say yeah. big. Yeah. Uh, um, what was the second one? Uh, the second one was Parks and Recreation. Oh, so what was the first one, though? Uh, named Star character Wars. in Star Wars. What's the name? I will not Worth tell you the name. <laughs> Again, Star Wars filmed in Britain. Yeah. Lots of character actors in there. Adrian Edmondson popping up. Well, well you didn't say which Star Wars film. I did not. So it could have been like Revenge of the Sith, which was shot in Sydney. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I'm going to go for Parks and Rec. It's just calling me. I'm going to go for Olivier Award. I'm going to go for Olivier Award because that's the most obvious. So I'm going to, and that's a double bluff. I'm going to go for Olivier Award as well. Hazel is correct. Uh, No Horrible Histories cast member has been in Parks and Rec, but Matt Bainton was in a Sky show called You, Me and the Apocalypse, yes. which did co-star Rob Lowe and Nick Offerman. Okay. So he yeah. was halfway there. Um, Simon Farnaby appeared in Rogue One as an X-Wing pilot, whose name was Farns Munsby. Original. <laughs> and Giles Torreira, who was a recurring uh, member of the core Horrible Histories crew, won an Olivier for Hamilton a couple mm. of weeks ago for playing Aaron Burr. I thought you hadn't mentioned that show in a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Indeed. I have to find a way one way or the other. <laughs> Um, in honour of his uh, fantastic performance in Rampage, I have three facts about The Rock. Yay! Oh, yay! <laughs> have mine made up. Okay. So, first one. The Rock's first leading uh, film role was in The Scorpion King in 2002. He terrible, terrible. Paid, terrible CGI. Yes. He was paid five and a half million for it, which was actually a world record for an actor um, in his first starring role. Second... His first TV acting role uh, was in 1999 when he played his own father in an episode of That 70s Show, which was called That Wrestling Show. And the third one, according to a recent survey, 23% of Americans think that The Rock actually owns the island of Alcatraz. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, I want the last one to be true, don't you? So much. Shall I put my wrestling fan hat on for this? What sort of hat is it? It is a hat that resembles a crown, but it has a stand of the rock's head on the top of it. (laughs) Why not? Um, Technically, from that point of view, he was making TV acting appearances from 1996, playing the character of the rock. So, technically... But what's that acting? It's performance. Can yeah. we take Dan outside and shoot him? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get you on a loophole? <laughs> no. Um, oh. This is, doesn't include any of his appearances like as himself. As, as himself. Okay. Yeah. Um, was he not on an episode of Star Trek before that? No, that really? was a little bit later. Was that later? The, he was in that 70s show. Mm. and Played his father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which would make sense historically because mm. that 70s show was all about the accuracy. From what I recall of it. Yep. Um, Scorpion King was his first leading role, and I can foresee him being paid a significant whack of money for that. Was it five and a half million? And you yep. say that was the highest for a. It's actually in the Guinness World Book of Records. Yep. The highest for a debut leading role. For right? a first starring leading role, it's a, it's a record, yeah. Because yeah, he already had a big fan base going into that film so it wasn't like he was an unknown quantity as a star he'd already hosted Saturday Night Live he'd had songs Mm -hmm. out with Wyclef he he was a movie star without having been in a movie and they probably had to compensate him for how terrible his being the mummy returns was (laughs) probably (laughs) I would imagine there's comedians that have been paid a lot to probably already have like successful stand-up careers and stuff but they, they tend to go into comedy films, which usually have smaller budgets. Mm. Okay. Mm. I, I, and what was the other one? It was the survey. So 23% of Americans oh, right. believe that The Rock um, is actually the owner of Alcatraz Island. I'm going to go for that one just because, like Peter says, I want it to be true. <laughs> and if I want it enough, maybe it will be. <laughs> Can I say at this point, we have, we, have a, we have a lot of listeners in San Francisco. Do we? Yes. So You have an awesome city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is that why you're going there? Mm-hmm. Just later yeah, this year, John. Five minutes will insult you. I'm going there to buy the Alcatraz uh, from the Rock. <laughs> the, Al- and rename the, it, the Alcatraz. You want to rename it the John? The John. Yeah. Twenty-three percent is a lot. I, I think. I imagine some Americans think that, but then some Americans vote for Donald Trump. Mm. A lot of them. Yeah. Um, that can't be. That's like a quarter of Americans think that the Rock owns Alcatraz. Do we know which Americans were surveyed? Not San Francisco, because they're all great. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, just, just America land. I'm going with that one. <laughs> I think yeah. That, that's, yeah, yeah. that's not true. You want it to be true, so you're going to say it's untrue in? Yes. Okay. Because you tend to get these things wrong. So. All the time. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've got one right yet. All right, I'm in on that as well. Yeah, I'd just like to apologise to America. I made that up. (laughs) I'm disappointed now. Well, I'd kind of thought about, okay, let's do something with the movie The Rock and like maybe handing over the rights to his name to Michael Bay because he didn't want to be known as The Rock anymore. And then I was like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not sure. So I just made up the survey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now I want to find out what the real answer is, don't you? Oh, I made the entire survey up. Yeah. I don't no, know I know, but, but I want to go and survey 100 oh, Americans. Yeah. If you're out. an American listener to this podcast, <laughs> please go and ask five of your friends <laughs> who owns The Rock. Yeah, and also, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ian. Okay, uh, three random facts. One is a bluff. Disney's Aladdin, the character is modelled on Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
When Mad Max 1979 ran low on funds, the director, George Miller, gave his own car for one of the crash scenes. And for his role in The Thin Red Line, Jared Leto... (laughs) (laughs) ...prepared for the seminal scene at the Battle of Guadalcanal, where he had to throw himself on some barbed wire and insisted they used real barbed wire, then replacing it with the fake barbed wire. (laughs) That sounds like something Jared Leto would actually do, though. That can't be true. I did Aladdin believe in aliens. I know that he was based on Tom Cruise. Yes. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. Aladdin was yeah, not yet do. at that mm. OT level, mm. ah, I believe. Mm. I'm going to say nothing else about the Church of Scientology. Perfectly valid, great, great people, the lot of them. Yeah, um, I, I apologise, and if the person that's standing in my garden taking folk vests on me would like to stop, that would be, uh, <laughs> that would be great. We, we love you. Uh, the Tom Cruise fact is definitely true. He originally looked a bit more Arabic. Mm-hmm. So is it Tom Cruise, is it Mad Max, or is it Jared Leto in The Thin Red Line? I think I've, I've heard the Jared Leto story. Really? <laughs> and it's the sort of thing he'd do, isn't it? Because we've established. He's a bit of a villain. I can expand a bit if you want. There's a scene okay. at the Guadalcanal where there's rolls of barbed wire and Jared Leto has to squeeze through them to lay a, a charge on the other side. And he insisted that they use real barbed wire because it would make it feel much more realistic that you'd have to be so careful getting through it. Now, mm. I know the, the Thin Red Line had loads and loads and loads of A-list actors in it, and m- most of them ended up cut out of the film because Terence Malick put in shots of grass waving dramatically. Instead, so it had lots I of would, A-list actors in? Apparently. But did, but did it have Jared Leto in? I don't know, I can't remember, but I would love to think that he went through all of that with <laughs> Barbed Wire and, <laughs> and then, then it was, was edited out of the film. <laughs> so I'm going to say that one's true. I'm going to go with George Miller as the untruth. Yeah, me too. I'm going to go, yeah, I, I, George Miller, untrue. Tension. The bluff is Jared Leto. Oh, no. <laughs> he is in no, the th- Thin Red Line. He has a very small cameo role. <laughs> what, what did he do to prepare for his small cameo role? He, um, he, he borrowed a camel <laughs> and, a, and a Victorian cameo <laughs> and slept with him nightly. Right, yes, well, Mad Max actually, sorry, um, uh, George Miller gave his own car because they run out of funds for the crash scene. So he, he trashed his own car. I mean, we may not be getting a, another Mad Max because he's had a fallout with Warner. Yeah. Seven million, isn't it? Yeah, so they're basically all suing each other. But also, he's now about 73, isn't he? He is, yeah, but I mean... Yeah, but he's got like 86 or something, mm-hmm. isn't he? How old is he? But if you look at the energy in Mad Max Fury Road, the idea of a 70-year-old directed that is amazing. It was a brilliant movie. I thought it was brilliant. Um, Peter. The torture scenes in Terry Gilliam's Brazil were filmed at a disused power station in Croydon. That location is now an Ikea. <laughs> um, the last word in Finding Nemo in Swedish is slut. And, <laughs> and Jack Nicholson was signed to play Mushnik in Frank Oz's Little Shop of Horrors, but dropped out after filming was switched to the UK. Right, well, I know that Jack Nicholson was in the original Little Shop of Horrors movie, which mm-hmm. is before the musical. So I could see that it might want to ask him back for a cameo because that would that would connect. What was the role? The dentist, uh, Mushnick. Mushnick, Mr. Mushnick. Yeah. In the original, he played. Mm-hmm. He was the dentist patient in the original movie, yeah. the Bill Murray part yeah. in the musical remake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know that's true. So that might that makes sense that he might have turned it down because mm. he's a bit lazy. I know Brazil was filmed in a power station. Whether yeah, but, that is power station is now an IKEA. Mm. Don't know. I really want the last word of Finding Nemo in Swedish to be slut. I really want that to be true. Could we have a translation from Swedish? Mm. It means final. Mm. Uh, in, in English, I think it's fin, which is obviously a joke on how French movies end with fin. 
Mm-hmm. So it just says slut across the screen. Yes. <laughs> Does Dory appear with like lots of other clownfish? <laughs> <laughs> she had a good time, but she can't remember it. <laughs> Dory's not a clownfish, John. No, but I'm suggesting that the Al Brooks character isn't her first clownfish. She's had that rodeo before. She just lowers her in. <laughs> they don't get together. I think they do, don't they? In the sequel, no. they're not. No. 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 Are, are they not lovers? No. Where, where was the, oh, He's I just have, lost his wife. Yeah, but bitch is a fish. He'd have yeah. got about seven seconds later. Yeah, this is this is not that Adam Sandler film, Fifty First Dates. <laughs> um, now, uh, where, where did you say the power station was? Uh, where? It's Croydon. In Croydon? Mm-hmm. Now, I come from Croydon. Mm-hmm. That hasn't helped. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the point. I'm trying to remember where... Cause it, is there an IKEA? It was, shot, it was shot inside a cooling tower. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to remember there was a cool, there is a there was a Croydon power station. Uh, and my grand used to not be in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> leave me, abandon me. But did it have a cooling tower? When when was Brazil made? Eighty four. About about sixty five million years ago, wasn't it? When the plate, tectonic plates separated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with slut. It's just a good word. I'm going to go with. Um... I know the Brazil one is true. I don't think Jack Nicholson was approached to be in the Little Shop of Horrors remake. I don't think he would have taken the Mr. Mushnick role because it's a bit of a nothing role. So I think that's wrong. But he turned it down apparently because the filming had changed from one. Mm, but to it's another. not it's not a particularly memorable role, and I can't mm, imagine maybe he didn't Jack Nicholson it taking it maybe as a memorable. Yeah, he doesn't really do cameos, does he? It's true. He doesn't tend to do them. Has he ever done a cameo? Mm. Sure he has. How often has he been in the same film twice? How, how often has he been in the same <laughs> film twice? Well, I think it's fairly unusual, you know, returning to a movie. Maybe I can ask, I, yeah, but I can, I can see why Frank Oz would have asked him. Chinatown, I think, is the only thing I can think that mm. he's in a sequel to. He was oh. in The Two Jakes, directed at, well, not very good. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going for Slut. Me too. To Power Station. Uh, it's actually Jack Nicholson. Ah. Though I was kind of surprised when I read the fact I was basing it on, which is that he was going to be uh, Daddy Warbucks in Annie. All right. And, and then they changed producers and he backed out then. Uh. It's just not something you really expect of Jack Nicholson. No, it's a bizarre role for him. And obviously I picked Little Shopper Horrors to lure you into my web of mm. deceit. Uh. <laughs> Okay, we're going to put Dan under the hot seat now, because Dan, and in preparation for Infinity sorry, War... Sorry, sorry, we're going to put him under the hot seat. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that's how you say it, isn't it? No, it's in the hot seat. It's in the hot seat, yeah. Under the spotlight. Oh, I mixed the two up. You did, you mixed your metaphors mm. like a sloppy cocktail waitress. <laughs> I mean, if you put a spotlight on a seat, it would get hotter because of the light. But you'd be under it, so it wouldn't hurt you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, God. <laughs> So Dan's under the hot seat. He's under the hot seat because in preparation for Infinity War, Dan has been re-watching all of the films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, uh, so because Infinity War is coming out and it's supposed to be the culmination of all of the MCU films to date, I thought I would watch all the MCU films to date 
in a few weeks in the lead up and there are more of them than I'd really planned for uh, 17 films out legally at the moment Black Panther still in cinemas so I haven't included that but I managed to get through all 17 of the previous films and now feel completely ready for whatever is to come and whoever is to be killed off when the new one is out Do you feel refreshed or fatigued? A little bit of refreshed, a little bit of <laughs> fatigued There were films that I hadn't revisited since they came out in the cinema there are ones that I've rewatched lots of times since anyway. There are some that I liked a lot more this time round. Which ones um, benefited? Iron Man 3 has grown on me a lot since it first came out. I liked that a lot more than I was anticipating. And Spider-Man Homecoming, I thought was fine when I saw it in the mm-hmm. cinema. Watching it again the other night uh, with my partner, who's a big Spider-Man fan and was not interested in this one at all, because there'd been so many reboots and rejigs of him already, she loved watching it. The The big storyline with Michael Keaton took her totally by surprise. It was really refreshing to watch it again, being that into it and enjoying it for what it was, rather than trying to link it in with all the other ones. And it's just a really fun, enjoyable film. So that one shot up in my estimation. I'd probably just about put that in my top five now. All right. Mm. And does that fit into the Avengers timeline properly? Because there's some discrepancy over how many years it says between the battle of the... Yeah, there's. they offered a little explanation of that somewhere of how it can be that. But having watched Civil War immediately around it, the timelines they give in Civil War and the timelines given in Spider-Man don't quite sync up. Time um, travel in the next Avengers... Well, yeah. yeah, you do get Doctor Strange in between the two, mm-hmm. so yeah. maybe there's some wibbly-wobbliness. So yeah, that took me out of Spider-Man a teeny little bit, which it wouldn't have done if I'd watched it in isolation. Are there any films that you thought you enjoyed at the time, but on rewatch, they're not quite as good as you thought they were going to be? Yeah, um, surprisingly, The Winter Soldier mm-hmm. wasn't quite as great as I remember it. It felt a bit bogged down in its own this is the serious one-ness mm-hmm. and on the flip side Guardians of the Galaxy 2 tried mm. to be too flippant and kind of went over into well if none of you lot are taking this seriously I don't really care Yeah, and that one went downhill for me as well I felt that when I watched yeah. it actually I, 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 I watched it last week and yeah. I got bored in the end Yeah, I would, I would put Guardians 2 below Thor The Dark World Mm. Probably. And I quite liked it when it came out last year uh, because I liked seeing the characters again. But again, having watched it so closely after the first Guardians, which is my number one, it's like the sequel took one element of each of the characters they developed and just focused on that one part of their character and ignored any other dimensions they might have had. So that one went downhill. Winter Soldier was kind of the flip side of that. It was just very, very, this is serious, down to earth. We're going to not have superpowers. We're just going to fight each other and punch and shoot stuff. And I'm kind of in the middle of watching it. I thought, but I want to see Captain America be a superhero. I love the first Avenger. Mm -hmm. Uh That's in the top five. Really like Civil War, but Winter Soldier kind of just dropped down a bit for me. Did Civil War feel like a practice for doing the Avengers? Just with all the different plot lines you're trying to get in. It squeezed in far more than we would have expected for a non-Avengers movie, I would say. Yeah, and I felt like that at the time, but watching it again a few nights ago, it still does feel like Captain America's film. 
It's about his reaction to what's going on. But he's now in a world where he's not the only superpowered person. There are all of these other people affected by his decision to not abide by the Sokovia Accords. And almost everything's seen within the prism of what Captain America is doing is having a knock-on effect on every one of them. So it almost feels natural that they'd all be drawn into it. Um, I'll be interested to see how that works out in the new one, because every time I've watched Civil War, my perspective on it changes a little bit. Mm. I was on Captain America's side when I saw it in the cinema. Second time I watched it, when it came out on DVD, it was a little bit, well, I can see both sides. This time I was completely on Tony Stark's team. Mm. After Mm. watching all the city smashing in the previous films, it introduces the idea of taking responsibility and repercussions for that. And I thought, yep, absolutely. I think they should all sign. Captain America is on the wrong here. Well, they do say you get more right wing as you get older, Dan, so that's... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, with, when you watched, like, the, say, the series of three Iron Man films, or, the, or three Thor movies, how did that feel, watching them in close proximity to each other? Do you see the sort of character development? I mean, obviously, Thor is very extreme, the difference between the third and the first two. Yeah, you see it a little bit, but actually more through the team-up films. Iron Man is very much the same character, in his first two films. It's from Avengers onwards where you start to really invest in where he's going after he almost dies mm. saving New York. He becomes a much more interesting character from that point on. Iron Man, the original one, is the only one that I felt had really dated. Uh, they wouldn't make that film the same way now, ten years on. I mean, the female characters in the film, particularly every single female character in the first Iron Man film, is there as an object for Tony Stark to ogle and or have sex with. Mm-hmm. And they serve no purpose beyond that. Mm-hmm. You almost can't identify that and the people who made Black Panther as being the same company in terms of representation. Mm. Um, Iron Man 2 just feels far longer than it actually is. It goes on forever, but it's less than two hours long. Mm. Um, it's just not that good. But yeah, for Iron Man, Avengers onwards, you can chart that character and it works really well throughout them. Thor's a little bit up and down. He kind of has his serious bits and his comedy bits, and he goes serious, and he goes comedy, and he goes serious. Yeah, but you still want to climb in like a tree, don't you? Is that just me? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yes. I thought, did you just say that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, we, we all wish to climb him like a tree. Uh, there'll be a lot of people out there who agree with me, I'm sure. Sorry, carry I wonder, on. I wonder if Mr. Pratt does. You are? I wonder if he does. Want to climb himself <laughs> like a tree? Yeah, but, but, no, we'll, we'll, we'll allow people to climb himself. Then, no, never mind. <laughs> Cut that bit out, please. Good <laughs> <Like a> tree. <laughs> Someone call the fire service. Hazel is stuck up. Uh, Chris Hemsworth. There's a pussy stuck in a tree. <laughs> Cut the fire brigade. (laughs) (laughs) And we have our episode title. (laughs) So, Dan, who's your favourite character in the entire MCU? Korg. (laughs) Uh, No, it's it's probably not Korg. Uh, Overall, it's probably Captain America, just because he gets a really complete journey through all of the films. I know he used the journey word, but he starts with this really idealistic 
um, scrawny kid being beaten up in New York saying, I could do this all day. And that's one of his very last lines in Civil War when he's gone completely mm-hmm. over. He's fighting his friend Iron Man. He's jammed his shield into the arc reactor and he's ready to kill him. And he still keeps fighting and says, I could do this all day. And it's just really interesting to see where he'll go from there. But I do also like Black Panther because he's just cool. Is there any continuity flubs or things that you can see that they've started with and then have swept under the carpet or um, continued? Ca- characters, when they've had to struggle to get actors back. Mm. Liv Tyler character in Incredible Hulk, forgotten about, never to be seen again. Uh, Natalie Portman disappears, but uh, gets a little, oh, sorry, she does to you line. there in mm. Thor 2 anyway. Yeah. Lady Sif is noticeably absent from Ragnarok, having mm. watched the first two Thor films. And she is a pretty decent character in there. She's got lines. She has an impact on Thor as a character. She gets one little mention in Loki's play, but she's never mentioned. We don't know whether she was on Asgard when Hela wipes everyone out or whether she was on the planet. For somebody who's quite important in Thor's life, for her not to even get a mention, it's a little bit odd. But for the most part, they seem to interweave everything quite well, or at the very least, cram enough stuff in that you don't notice if there are plot holes. Like the fact that you would have thought that somebody might have noticed that there were lots of mystical sorcerer-type people before the Doctor Strange film. Or the fact that, say, in Doctor Strange again, him operating as a surgeon in New York, that could have happened at the same time as the first Iron Man. It's very much our world as we know it without having been affected by all this other stuff. Um, But there are other films that deal with that same thing a lot better, like Spider-Man. It's a world that has been influenced by superheroes existing. So, yeah, there there are little bits and pieces, but there was nothing that I noticed where I thought, whoa, hang on, plot hole. It's impressive that, you know, they spent 10 years building this universe and it all ties together so well. They did get to practice in print for quite a while. (laughs) Reinvented a few times, still all fitted together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and despite the very different tone of a lot of them, they do all link in together quite well. The only one that didn't really was Ant Man. Mm. That felt very totally. apart from the rest. It just felt like a different universe almost. Did you see the tweet? I I can't claim credit for this, and I I don't have the name of the person on Twitter, but I will, I will find it so we can credit them. And they suggested, why doesn't Ant Man just shrink? Fly up Thanos' ass and then go to giant size. That was, uh, I that was Nick, Nick DeSemlin, I think. Yeah. From Empire Magazine, yeah. yeah. He's got uh, a point. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't it? That would be suicide. Not for Ant-Man. He's in his, he's in his uh, Ant-Man costumes, isn't it? Is that yeah. give him some super strength? It? He went into Iron Man's suit in Civil War and survived an explosion there. Oh, yeah. But he didn't go giant again inside Iron Man's suit. What I'm worried about. Yeah. Oh, mm. yeah, I forgot about that bit. Mm. It depends yeah. how, I would imagine Thanos would just pop. How hard is Thanos? This is a Bruce Willis dildo question again. <laughs> Basically, if Thanos is softer than Iron Man, and Iron Man's in his armor, but if Thanos wears armor, and I would imagine the problem, I would imagine he'd kill Thanos, but then he'd have to just get just big enough. I mean, he wouldn't have to go massive, would he? He can go to like half, somewhere between ant size and man size would be enough to do some damage to his uh, his kidneys. <laughs> Well, I mean, you could just stay small and sever a few arteries with a tiny knife or something like that. That wouldn't be the great explosion at the end that you'd want to see, though. 
So, you know, when uh, when the, the war's finally over and I, I presume they win, some will die, some will live, what are they all going to do after that? They're going to have to get normal jobs, aren't they? I mean, what would you... So what jobs do you think the uh, Marvel characters would do? Iron Man after? ironing. Ironing. <laughs> Thor hammering. Thor hammering. Or a lumberjack. Mm. Lumberjack, be good, yeah. Mm. Captain America <laughs> already has the gimp suit. I think you just help people cross the road, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, be like a traffic warden, like that. I think uh, Hulk should go back to his gladiator days. I think he was, he was pretty good at that. Thor could be a stand-up comedian. Or the massive man <laughs> I would pay. Hawkeye would... Still be shit. Hawkeye would host a re... Do you the Golden Bow with Bob Bunkhouse? The 50s. Golden Shot. The Golden Shot, yeah. Uh, Hawkeye would host a reboot of The Golden Shot. It's a very niche reference there. <laughs> and I imagine Peter Quill would just become a tree for somebody to climb. <laughs> no, that's Chris, uh, he, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. It's Chris Pratt and... Uh, it's Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Hemsworth. I have a oh, right. why massive it? crush why on. everyone was looking baffled before. <laughs> oh, I see. Now I was getting... Chris Pratt. <laughs> Helmsworth. Oh, I Hemsworth. see what you're saying mm. now. Oh, now I... Even oh, oh. I'd have a go on him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have to get in line, Ian McLaughlin. <laughs> <laughs> that is going in the podcast. <laughs> so I, we could both think about it. <laughs> There's room for both of us. It's quite a big chap. <laughs> There's room for yeah. two up the Thor tree. Yeah. You, around the front, I'll be around the back. Will you be Thor in the morning? <laughs> You're Thor on a pithle day. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so if you had to pick one... <laughs> What? <laughs> I just pictured a scenario for a second there okay. of you, you and me sorting Chris Holmes, sorting Chris Holmes with her. And I, well, you're at the front, obviously. He's in the middle, I'm at the back. And I just imagine reaching over Making to him. Making eye contact. Pass me the Chris, will you? <laughs> <laughs> you can't hold the ball over your shoulder. <laughs> No, oh, let me balance on his back so you can both reach. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Chris. You've been Pratt and Helmsworth. <laughs> You've been imagining this in far too much detail. That's just the way I am. Um. So we're going to try out a new feature now uh, where we take a, a classic film that we all really, really love uh, and then attempt to recast the roles uh, with modern actors. So the first film that we have chosen um, for today is uh, John's favourite, Jaws. So three main actors in this. So the one, uh, Roy Schneider, Richard Dreyfus, and Robert Shaw playing uh, Brody, Hooper and Quint respectively. Um, who wants to go first and suggest some alternatives for Brody? Well... Um, before we get on to Brody, can we all agree that Andy Circus via motion capture would be the shark? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good. Yeah. No, I think or the shark. Jared Leto. <laughs> I think the shark should be that um, backup dancer that Katy Perry had at the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the problem I had with this as a concept is that it is just the most perfectly cast film. And I found it difficult to think of anybody who would be better mm. in any of the roles and the, the, the absolute perfect casting that is there. But you have to. But I have to. Well, um, if that's true, did you did you know that nine days before filming, neither Brody nor Hooper were actually cast? Really, they're all cast that. at the last minute. Um, for Brody, I th- I th- the only person I could think of, um, David Arbor, who is uh, the sheriff in Stranger Things, 
mm-hmm. I think would be a good building. You don't just have to cast people with a police hat, are you? Or did you consider Andrew Lincoln, did you? <laughs> <laughs> if people who already oh. have the hat, I'm assuming it's a low budget. <laughs> low budget I thought David Arbour from Strange... He's got that nice quality about him, that that stillness and sensibleness. About Fassbender. Is that your choice? That would be... Yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah. Mm. I've got some names written down. I, I mm. thought uh, Brian Cranston would be yes. good for that. Yeah, that's a, that a good show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, in the spirit of uh, of uh, Daniel's amazing review of Hamilton, I've decided to recast them all as black actors. So I've gone for Chief Brody. I've gone for Idris. Okay, no. Idris Elba as no. Brody. Yeah. No. Now I had Idris. <laughs> gone, no. I had Idris down for Hooper. Oh, did you? I did. Mm. I thought Hooper was just a little bit more kind of mm. lighter mm. and a bit crazier. Well, I've mm. gone for for Brody. I've gone for. I'm going to try and pronounce this name correctly. Chiwetel Ejiofor. That yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a bit of a sparkle in his eye, mm-hmm. and apparently, they won't need the makeup department to do his scars because he's got scars from when he was in a car crash when he was 11. So we can talk about those. Yeah. That's yeah. the sort of thing Jared Leto would do. Yes, <laughs> it is. Yeah. But I think I think he's a he's a lovely actor. He's he's been in some great films, Twelve Years a Slave, um, things like that. And I think you really he can create a lot of empathy for his character, and I think mm. you need that for Brody. Do you think uh, Woody Harrelson could do it quite well? Yes, yeah. Mm, mm. Possibly. Sort of three billboards, uh-huh. Woody Harrelson. Mm, yeah. mm. Again, mm. another man is already a cop. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to go. I'm happy to put my vote down for Cranston. Mm. Yeah. Has anyone yeah. thought of a, a, a gender swap, a female Brody? Uh, yes, but every role that I was gender swapping, it just ends up being Laura Dern because she's awesome <laughs> and she would be great at any of them. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. So, Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. How about Hooper? Richard Dreyfus. Is <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's still? Is he? Sadly, is the only one other than Lorraine Gray. Actually, is Lorraine Gray dead? I just killed Lorraine Gray. No. <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're Lorraine Gray, go to the nearest hospital, check in, make sure you're all okay. Yeah, okay. I have cursed we should, you. We should add some context to this. John has predicted the death of most major film stars in the in 2016, didn't you? I did. I had yeah. a run that I would randomly men- mention a film star and they would die the next day. Yeah, it it was freaky. Mm-hmm. Uh, my partner recently watched Jaws for the first time. And she was able to suggest lots of possible names for this. Mm-hmm. Going along the gender swap theme again, uh, she reckoned Frances McDormand would be quite a good Hooper. Mm. Yes. I, I think yeah. that's very good. I've gone for uh, Robert Downey Jr. He's a big fan of technology, what it can do, um, and is quite cocky. I think he's got a bit of a wicked sense of humour, um, but he, he learns how to be humble as well. So yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Did for you one. know that um, Jeff Bridges was considered for the part of Hooper? When no, they were not. casting the original movie, that would be mm. that is a name on my list. Mm, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, mm. well, I've gone for Jeffrey Wright. Okay. Yes, from yeah. Westworld. Mm. Why? I don't know. There, mm. uh, there's a sort of a scientific, a scientific, but a little bit bumbling at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit geeky, but with the potential sinisterness yes. behind there somewhere where you never. Mm. There's just an intelligence. Mm-hmm. That's a great actor. Ian Mayer, who is not with us, uh, suggested uh, Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny as a, as a Hooper. Oh. Mm. Mm. Which I thought what? was a, a reasonably good shout. I had Guy Pearce, possibly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also Sam Rockwell, because he's fantastic in everything I've ever seen him in. Mm. I'm sure he would we've, do we've a good job We've got all the three billboards one. guys in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, and finally, Quint. The actor I've kind of thought of is probably a little old to play it, but... 
I'm not sure. Um, I've gone for Charles Dance. Because mm. um, he's ruthless, he gets shit done. Um, and But he, he's kind of like that traditional methods and kind of age-old wisdom rather than uh, Hooper's kind of new fandangled stuff. So Yeah, a good contrast. Yeah. Yeah, well, thinking along the, the Spielberg lines, it would be a little bit out of character for what he's played previously, but you can not usually go wrong by putting Mark Rylance mm-hmm. in your film. And I'd like to see him play someone with a little more um, angry craziness mm-hmm. to him in a film. quite sad Irish voice he does all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I reckon he can, I reckon he's got versatility to him. I think he does too. Yeah. Um, or again... Going along the gender lines, um, if we take a performance in I, Tonya, as something Alice and Johnny would do a great job there. Uh, I'm going to watch that tonight. You will enjoy it. Will it? Yeah, you it's will good. enjoy it. How about, uh, about Ian McShane as Quint? I had him. Yeah. yeah. I got Morgan Freeman down. Mm-hmm. Only just because Burr. I want to hear Morgan Freeman's voice do, <laughs> do the, do the, uh, the ship going down speech. Yeah. yeah. It would be amazing. Mm. I had um, Samuel Jackson. Because he's already been eaten by a shark. <laughs> he's used thing. to it. He's, like, he's got form. Um, Kurt Russell, maybe? Yeah. Grizzled Kurt yeah. Russell. Yeah. Um, Gary Busey, if he's not too mad by now. Oh, he's a dick. I've just had a great idea. What if we make the shark even bigger and put Jason Statham in the film? <laughs> <laughs> I'm genuinely Mega looking forward to that more than Mega anything else this be, year. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be great. Do you know that do you know that film's cost hundred and fifty million dollars to make? Where the, how the fuck have they spent that much I money? I can't on wait. It? I cannot wait for that film. I'm gonna Massive take a big shark. bottle of vodka and just go into it. <laughs> um uh for the shark I've got Keith Lemon down. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see a shark with a neck brace on. And <laughs> 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 one of its spins. I think Dwayne the Rock Johnson with a fin. Just a strap-on fin. Yeah, if if we had the Michael Bay version of Jaws, The Rock would play all the parts mm. in that. For the mayor, I was casting uh, Bruce Campbell. I thought he'd be fun. Bruce Campbell would be a great mayor. Or, or Nick Hoffman could be quite good as well. Yeah. I thought Anya Taylor-Joy as the first victim of the shark. She's getting a reputation as the new scream queen in mm-hmm. lots of horror films. I think she'd do. That's her Oscar moment, being eaten by the circus shark. I didn't realise that Brody's wife was played by the wife of the person who runs Universal Studios. <laughs> really, but she insisted that she had the role, but I think yeah. she, she acquits herself well in it. She's very good at it. Mm-hmm. I don't think she ever acted in anything else. No, she's been in other things. Has she? Yeah. Name them. If you hand me IMD, <laughs> I will do. <laughs> I think the shark should be William Shatner. I'm going to bite you now. <laughs> Da-da. <laughs> Da-da. Da-da. <laughs> That's all we've got time for for today's episode. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Um, please check us out on social media at Nerdfest UK, Twitter and Facebook. But in the meantime, you've been listening to Dan Watkins, Ian McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what are you climbing? Get down. <laughs> She's so disappointed. <laughs> and I'm Hazel Burton. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.
need a bigger boat. 